Guys, I bet so much money on Morbius sweeping the awards, and I just found out it wasn't even nominated for anything! <laughs> it's so much trouble! Oh my god! You didn't break my leg. Hello, I am an AI voice generated from clips of Connor Lloyd Cruz's voice. I am here to introduce you to the third annual Secret Movie Club podcast Oscars special. Today, we are talking about Best Picture winner Everything Everywhere All at Once, and more of the best in film of 2022. I yearn for the outside, flesh upon flesh. Uh -oh. I'd like to introduce you to your host, Craig Hamill, whose skin is looking nice. <laughs> Would you like to know any movie uh, trivia? Can we... Disable this chat GBT. Yeah, thing. sorry. Hold on, guys. I'm going to disable it. I'm looking up how many people Jason Voorhees killed across all his appearances in film. I feel like Connor, I could do better. It's not working out. All right, I got it. Sorry, guys. That was weird. Oh, hey, guys. Either the technology is there or the technology is not yet there. I don't know. <laughs> I guess that's all. Whether you're looking at it from the point of view of the computers or from the people. Whoever wins... We lose. Well, what better way to start a podcast on the 2022 Academy Awards than with intimations and glimmerings of the robo-apocalypse? Wonderful to have everybody. The Secret Movie Club Podcast 142. Today, as the AI did correctly say, I do have to give it to the AI for that. It was it was pretty, pretty accurate. It was. It, it, it had your rhythms almost down. A little mechanical. The best picture, which just happened, actually, when you hear this, this is one of our most on it podcasts. It's like South Park. We're recording this just after the Oscars, and you're going to hear it less than a week after the Oscars. Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, directed by the Daniels, won the most Academy Awards at the Oscars uh, in, I think, 10 or 20 years since Return of the King. Uh, seven Academy Awards. It won Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actress, Best Supporting Actor, Best Supporting Actress. I'm sure it won. Did it win Best? screenplay yeah and editing you know there were many stories many storylines you could follow some which we may tease out or not might be with you know post will smith slap how is that addressed pretty much post covid where are the oscars at you know steven spielberg fableman's got completely shut out james cameron way of water completely i think got one award top gun maverick one award they, they kind of although some things never change they always throw the bone <laughs> to the blockbuster by giving it best special effects or best sound editing and indeed maverick and way of water each one won. you know there are other storylines too I, I heard a really interesting radio analysis that said on one hand it was great to see all the asian american representation and asian representation and but on the other hand there was no viola davis there was a lot of amazing movies that were made that were also ignored directors who were ignored the woman king director i believe was didn't get so it's always a conversation but anyway this pod which we do every year takes into account where the academy awards are and in a way by extension where american uh, movie making is. Who is with us today? That was way too long of a preamp. Hey everyone, it's Daniel. Great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Hey gamers, it's me, Connor Lloyd Cruz, the People's Champion, and the award for the nastiest, rowdiest boy goes to Edwin Gomez. <laughs> I voted for him. Uh, hello, America. Yeah, my favorite rude boy. Hello, America. I like to play a clip of a reaction I recorded after a category that I wanted to win, lost to a certain someone. 
I'll let it explain. Williams! John Williams! Yeah. You ain't gonna win. You ain't gonna win. Get the f*** out of here, Babylon. Yeah. Yeah. It's gonna get there, don't worry. It's gonna get there. It's a really good use of radio John! time. Though. Come on! There we go. Alright. And the Oscar goes to... John Williams. Oh. Uh, well, thank you for sharing that with us. Uh, yes, John Williams did not win for the Fablemans. Nothing won for the Fablemans. Isn't that right? We won because it exists. Uh, you're going to hear this this Friday. And this Friday, it's St. Patty's Day, my people's day. If you're Irish, if you're an ally of the Irish, uh, <laughs> come, come join us. I bought a whole bunch of Guinness. I wanted to do something different. I didn't want to. Look, I love the quiet man. I love The Departed, but I wanted to do something a little different. So we're doing two Irish musicals to fit with our monthly theme. Two movies I actually quite like. We're doing Once, which is a great low-budget musical made just a few years ago. And we're doing The Commitments by Alan Parker, which was made in the early 90s. And my dad and my sister and I love the soundtrack to that, where a bunch of Irish people sing soul songs from America. We'll see how that holds up. But we're doing Once and The Commitments this Friday. Saturday is our Cameron Crowe double. We're doing singles from the early 90s, which, you know, in terms of him trying to chase the zeitgeist was in some ways his most prescient movie because it came out right when grunge was like huge. So it was like that one moment where one of his movies was really on it. I mean, really on Pearl Jam and Nirvana. And I was a teenager. I was like 13 when it came out. And then we're doing Almost Famous, my favorite Cameron Crowe. I think the best Cameron Crowe on 35. Although I do have to say this. I've outed myself many times. I like Jerry Maguire. <laughs> So how about, well, we have resident, we bought a zoo fan, Edwin Gomez, which I, I still need to see. Actually, I was realizing, got to see it. I was giving it crap. It's a solid movie. It relates to you a lot, crap, for some scary reason. I don't know why. Because he's a dad. And he has two children. Well, yeah, three. So And the zoo that Craig owns. Take the zoo out. We plays with a theater. It's Craig. <laughs> Take the zoo out. It's just a family drama. <laughs> My zoo of human animals. Uh, Monday, we're doing a movie of trivia, sorta, with Conan O'Brien alum, Kyle Ayers. Uh, you can actually see Kyle do a lot of bits with Conan on Conan's old show. It's awesome to have him. It's gonna be actually a really fun night. It's not a strictly trivia night. It's actually kind of how well can you BS. So Kyle is gonna ask trivia questions that don't really have an answer. He does it better than I do, but sort of questions like, why is Peter Weller always slightly scary no matter what he is in? And uh, that would be, and then you, whoever gives the best answer wins the trivia night. That's Monday. And then Tuesday and Wednesday, we're doing Purple Rain on 35 and then Under the Cherry Moon, DCP. And then Thursday, we are partnering with Strong Asian Lead, actually apropos of today's conversation. And we are showing a great Wang Wang movie, Chan is Missing, which was a huge indie revelation in the early 80s. It was sort of along the wave of John Sayles movies, Jim Jarmish, Spike Lee. He would be right around that wave, Coen Brothers, Sam Raimi, uh, that 80s wave. And Wayne Wang would go on to do Joy Luck Club and a, a whole bunch of films. But he made Chan is Missing in San Francisco because he was so furious, as Kei Kwan quite rightly has talked about, that there were all, like the Asian in an American movie was always a stereotype. Whatever it was. It was like literally Long Duck Dong from 16 Candles. And so Wang Wang made a movie where it was Chan is Missing. It's a mystery. It's actually a reference to the stereotypical Charlie Chan movies of the 1930s that uh, Hollywood used to put out. I know Strong Asian Lead got a drink sponsor, so we're going to be drinking, y'all, and watching some Wang Wang, and we got speakers. It's going to be dope. As always, write us at community at secretmovieclub.com. 
Find out about everything we're doing at secretmovieclub.com. Get tickets at Eventbrite. Here are some events from our April to June spring season, because uh, by the time you hear this, we'll have already started launching. I'm already, already going to hate it this time. It's going to be more bad movies. The Filmmaker Workshop is returning, and it's actually selling out now every time. So if you uh, have a script, our only rule is five pages or fewer, and we ask four characters or fewer. A whole bunch of actors show up. The writers get chosen. You get to workshop your scene with actors, and then we put up the scenes and we give feedback. And we had a great director come in and do a um, sand Stanford Meisner workshop last time. We're getting regulars coming and then we're getting people who meet in the workshop and make short films that we see three weeks later in the open mic short night. And that's like exactly what we want Secret Movie Club to be. So we hope if you're a writer or filmmaker, come make some community, meet some uh, people and, and do some stuff, workshop some stuff. That'll be April 12th, May 3rd and June 7th. You hate those, Edwin? Those are just a, like whatever the hell they It's not physical motion pictures. Just people. How do physical motion pictures get made, Edwin? By people meeting each other and Just working together. Just keep going! Then, at the end of every month is our open mic short night, and I have our themes if you want to enter the competition. Remember, you can enter a short that you made 30 years ago. That is totally fine. But if you decide to take up the challenge and you make a short from between when we announce and the day of the show, you're in competition and the winner gets two tickets to two months of anything we do. It's like just season pass for two months. The theme for April is April anime, which might clue you in to a few things we're doing in April. I will say this. Our anime is not going to be spread out. We are doing an anime marathon on Saturday, April 29th. And I program some bangers yo many on 35 so the theme is anime you can interpret that however you want but that's the theme for april at the end of may may 31st our open mic short night the theme is hitchcockian it's thriller suspense we got to have one of those so thriller suspense for the end of may and then june it's heist and that's june 28th because we're doing a whole heist series in uh june of heists and capers we are doing I'll, I'll drop two on you these happen in the middle of june june 16th and june 23rd one night we're doing rafifi and touche powell grisby two straight up dope heist movies and then the next friday we're doing bob le flambeur and jean-pierre melville's le cirque rouge on 35 millimeter two more dope heist movies and don't worry edwin i just got the Hot Rock confirmed, which I'll tell you what that's coming on out 35. on. It better be on 35 because I would not be there for that. And then I'm also, we're also doing a little Fritz Lang joint oh, jam. Get out of here. And we're doing The Thousand Eyes of Dr. Mabuza, oh, which uh, should actually alert you to some other things we're doing, which I'm very excited about. Another thing, actually, I'm going to hold off. I don't want to do it all right away. Anyway. Come on! Edwin, the mystic poet Rumi said something I want you to think about. <laughs> I don't know these damn people you mentioned! Edwin, the mystic Sufi poet Rumi said, you should always ask for patience. One cannot receive grace without self-control. Or maybe it's self-discipline. I find that to be very profound because I believe in grace. But I also believe that that's probably right. You can only receive grace if you have patience and self-discipline. Anyway, moving on. Academy Awards 2023. Everything Everywhere All at Once uh, One Best Picture was kind of the return to the king. Won tons of awards. And I want to go to Connor first for this because Connor and I were pre-gaming some conversation. And, and Connor, you were just talking about how much you love this movie. I think me, Edwin, and Daniel have actually all talked about the movie on the podcast like probably about a year ago when it came out. And, you know, it was a movie. I saw it twice that opening weekend. I just saw it once and I was like, I want to see this again immediately. 
I loved it and it kind of wrecked me like emotionally in a good way. I loved it and I, I was one of that very first wave who was just like telling people, everybody I could, and being like, hey, you got to see this. This rules. This is, I feel like in a lot of ways it was kind of what Parasite was for you, Daniel, maybe. Not to take away if this was also that for you, where you had this movie and you were instantly like, oh, this is maybe my favorite thing I've seen in, you know, 10, 15 years, like new thing. I love it. I, th I think it's great. I had kind of a disastrous revisit over Christmas break where I watched it with my family and they didn't like it. I'll also say this kind of a difference, I think, between um, me and maybe everybody here. I don't know. Definitely me and Daniel is Daniel. When Parasite won, you were so like you made like a birthday pre-show where it just included a bunch of clips of Bong <laughs> Joon-ho winning awards. And I am obviously very excited for the people who won, especially Ki Yu Kwan, who I thought is incredible. And that story is incredible. And as someone who loves short round, <laughs> genuinely uh, has a lot of affection for that screen presence. But I also I was kind of mixed on it winning on a personal level, because I think part of it goes against like an ego thing on my own level where I don't like the Academy Awards because I think they're kind of lame. But at the same time, it did also I felt like it showed that I had some amount of principle that the fact that even though this movie that I did love this much swept, I still was like, uh, <laughs> Like my reaction to it winning, I wasn't like, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, because then that would show that to me, it would have read like, well, then I would just be at the whims of this thing that's winning or not, as opposed to like a more principled, I suppose, stance on my opinion on the Academy Awards, which is even though we do this Oscar special every year, I think they kind of suck. I didn't watch the ceremony at all. I haven't watched the ceremony since I was in high school. I watch when I watch the clips that are supposed to be fun. They always make me feel like my skin wants to jump off. I don't like watching them. Good for them. I don't know if it's the contrarian in me or what. I remember you also said this a couple of years ago, Craig, where you were like, well, we complain about the Oscars, but we know if we were nominated, we would all, you know, gladly go. And I, and I was thinking about that and I probably would end up going, but I definitely think my initial reaction would be really negative, mostly because it just seems like a hassle. It's a whole big night and you got to get dressed up. I get a lot of social anxiety. I don't like being in rooms with that many people. I think I would find the whole thing like mentally very upsetting. I don't think I would enjoy. You made that pre-show where Trey Parker and Matt Stone talked about being on acid when they went. That would almost be worse in some ways. I feel like I would need to be bone sober I guess like just get super drunk and just make an absolute fool of myself maybe that would help well their detail in the pre-show you put together was that they were tripping acid on the carpet and the worst thing was when they sat down they were coming down and they said there's nothing worse than transitioning from the psychedelic fugue to sobriety again and realize you're at the Oscars <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, I'm kind of whatever on those guys, and that's that's my favorite thing they've ever done. Um, that's a, that's a topic for a whole other time, but that that's incredible. They always have a place in my heart for doing that and dressing up in those dresses. One of them was wearing the J Lo dress. Oh yeah, and and the the thing that they had defaulted to, which was hilarious, which in itself was satirical, oh, yeah. was that no magical what, night. It was mad, it's a magical night. I yeah. just I'm loving. It's just a magical time. <laughs> yeah. I think this is one of those examples of watching something is totally different than participating in it. And you never think about that. But I've always thought about, I don't know how I would be, but I'm not so invested in winning an award that I don't think I couldn't be truly gracious if someone else won. But if I was a really competitive person 
and really wanted it and thought everyone had told me I was gonna get it. Could you imagine the camera being on you and your agent or your handler being like, look, no matter how you feel inside, you have to clap and hug the person and you have to like show joy that they won and that we're a community. It's like in a court cases when you can't show emotion, you're supposed to sit there emotionless while people just describe horrible things. And, and when you think about it, you, you have to be, because you know, if you're not paying attention, if you do something memeable, you're gonna become an, like people, your handlers will just wanna protect you and be like, don't become a meme. I'll fail at that hardcore. I will probably say and it caused a big tantrum. <laughs> it's interesting though, because I think this year there was there was a lot of like the expectation of who was gonna win. Like everything everywhere was like pretty poised to win pretty much everything. There were a few that weren't clear. So it seemed like a celebration. Like Kihu Kwan's victory was like pretty much guaranteed in terms of he was winning every other, every guild and award show he was dominating. And so the story was everyone was behind him. So his victory was so satisfying because everyone was like this is so cool. How excited of a story is he it? He seems like the most lovable man in, on the planet. Oh my gosh. The, uh, the whole award cycle was worth it for just how, like, every speech he gave was, like, so deeply personal and clearly the most grateful human. Harrison Ford being there on stage yeah. to give Best Picture and him up there kind of freaking out to see him. and The, sho oh, yeah. the shots of them hugging and Harrison Ford with, like, a genuine smile on his face, which is just, like, a that's like seeing God, I imagine. Sounds about right. Where was Kate Capshaw? They took a picture, apparently. Um, Gilmore Del Toro, I don't know if he's posted it. Oh, nice. Somebody took a picture of him from afar taking a picture of Capshaw, Spielberg, and uh, Ki Kwan. For whatever it's worth, I, I feel like I, I said this. I went to school. I knew Kei Kwan as Jonathan. Jonathan and I went to USC together. We were in the same peer group and we did our film cycle together. I haven't talked to him in years. He and I went for drinks in Koreatown in my late 20s and I think that was it. And he was telling me at the time, he was like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm doing stunt work now. I'm a stunt coordinator. He had just gotten into that. But I think the thing I, I just wanna say is he was as genuinely humble and nice when we were coming up, there was no attitude about him at all. Someone could be like, I was in Temple of Doom. I was in Goonies. You never, he, he would come, like I had a house party at my boarding house. Jonathan came with uh, some of our other friends. We was just drinking beer and hanging out and listening to music, and, uh, which is exactly the way that it should be. And my sister and her friends kept grabbing me. And they were like, is that short round? I was like, that's Jonathan. <laughs> just, go, just, go say, just go say hi to Jonathan. Yeah, so all I have to add to this is that it's not pretense. I also did not watch the whole award cycle, but how I hear Kei Hei Kwan's humility, and that's him. That's who he is. And I don't think you can fake that. And I think that is something to get behind. Somebody who's genuinely believes in cinema and genuinely a good person. So congrats, Jonathan. Uh, you deserve it fully. And you were great in Temple of Doom and Goonies. I'm the opposite where I love the Oscars. Less about like the awards are cool. I think this like I, I'm, I'm less inclined about that because I you know the stuff you love might not, not always get nominated. So in the rare occasions where it aligns, I think it's really cool. But there's something about just having. I, I think I've always looked at it as like if it's peers giving peers awards, there's something to be said there maybe. But it is weird because it does. I feel like a lot of the award stuff just devolves into people. It becomes discussions of like, well, this got snubbed and this got snubbed, and then the conversation isn't fun anymore because it's just like all the disappointments. If you could train an AI to search Twitter yeah. in the last 72 hours for the amount of people who have used the concept of objectivity in the context of this kind of stuff, it would like blow the AI up. It really puts into perspective for me sometimes how much 
I feel like people look at art very differently than I do. Can you tease that out a little bit? What, what's the objectivity thing that's going on? It's just, it's just a lot of people who are just like, well, this objectively was the best thing. And it's like, why are you talking like this? There is no object. Like, even if you think it was, like you claiming objectivity, you're sort of trying to like gaslight the world into like <laughs> aligning with your viewpoint. And I, I find it kind of distasteful and annoying. Well, there's a total lack of humility to that statement. So. And I get to a certain degree, there's like a trash talk to a certain extent but it's just kind of eye rolly it's just like all right guys <laughs> cool at its best my hope is that people will now watch things they maybe wouldn't have considered and i think everything everywhere is, is such a cool victory whether or not it's your favorite movie because it is so unique and so created it is a a vision of this team with very specific taste that is seems to be uncompromised that has taken the spotlight in like so many fields of wins um that i think is really cool and i agree with connor this was looking at letterbox to, to check when i had caught it but i went did the same thing like four times opening week just like stunned that this existed like this got made it's two hours and 20 minutes clearly they had final cut and it was doing really well. I think a week or two after, because it had like a small release. I don't know if you remember this, Connor. And then kept expanding. Like it just kept doing well. So it's kind of the cool underdog story. But also just for like what it stands for. I, I think my favorite things have been reading articles from people about why this is important. Beyond it being great, what it's doing that makes it so unique in ways I hadn't necessarily thought about. That I, I think is super cool. The way it just keeps giving to different people in different communities. And interesting ways, too, there's this great article. There's a writer I love named Walter Chow, and he actually wrote an article where he talked about that he basically, like, kind of hated Ki Hu Kwan for years because he blamed him for the representation of Asians and the stuff he got made fun of when he was growing up as an Asian man in America because they would call him short round and stuff, uh, Walter specifically. But he wrote this article about what this movie did to him and this change in perspective about identity and himself. And I was like, it's crazy that the Best Picture winner also had these insane, just this astronomical effect on so many people across all different types of film lovers. And I feel like that's really rare for it to do. And it, it, it just rules. Well, when it's interesting to note too, you know, I, you know, you look at like, what are the last couple of years winners, Coda and Nomadland. We're talking sometimes about like mid-budget movies and like wanting those back and this is i think a great example of that thing you know we sort of talked about how top gun and avatar got shut out those being blockbusters but this kind of has i think a lot of that broad appeal i think in certain ways you know it's it's a little strange for sure but it has like a fun big maximalist appeal to me it feels like a very extremely accessible maybe it's just a, that's just a personal thing no i think i think you're right it's, it's a blend of so much and it all like pretty much works the only nightmare i can imagine is like how do you follow this up like the expectations on them now are have got to be insane unlike some people who didn't watch the oscars i watch the oscars it's my yearly tradition every year because one i love it secondly i love the yell Thirdly, I curse a lot. What? Uh, I'm very happy with the results. I'm very excited. The only result I wasn't happy about was John Williams not winning. That, as you heard in my little video, I broke some stuff. I caused a disruption. I I shouted. I I cursed uh, all quiet on West Front. Uh, it didn't Disrespect your surroundings. <laughs> the one I was really happy for was Kihi Kwan. That was the, the emotional part of the night. That was uh, a huge win because that guy deserved every bit of that award and the second surprise i didn't see coming was jamie lee curtis winning the oscar 
it was her turn. She gave so many great performances over the years, and from Halloween to like this blockbuster movie, just amazing. Freaky Friday. I was only getting like little whisperings of it because I I haven't been paying tons of attention. But what we, was she just going around on the interview circuit and the award circuit, just sort of being real, or what was the Jamie Lee Curtis thing? Yeah, she was really leaning into like about her opportunities, how many opportunities she had because of her parents, and being like very sincere about what that afforded her, but also just being like a huge champion of the movie and the cast. Like basically every interview, she just cycles it to like wax poetic about all of the cast and crew and stuff. So she was just kind of like this perfect type woman. And it, I think it played very well that she was very genuinely like in love with this thing. I did not watch the ceremony. The Academy Awards used to be my family's Super Bowl. Still is my Super Bowl. We would all get together. We all would fill out a ballot. We'd all have little Smokies, which we dip in like, oh, it's delicious, like mustard, ketchup, and mayonnaise. One year I made lobster rolls and they were delicious. And everyone was like, these are the best. Until I told them that I had killed the lobsters the morning of because I had bought them in Chinatown alive. And I remember <laughs> my sister was like halfway through her lobster roll. And she was like, what? And I was like, oh, yeah, these guys were alive. And before I put them in the pot and she was like, oh, I was like, how do you think you eat lobster rolls? Actually, I don't think it was Heather. Heather's pretty good with death because she fishes. I think it was my friend Kevin who got bummed out. But, you know, and I haven't done that in a few years and I want to get back to it. You know, Connor and I were having a pregame conversation and, and it might I guess my feelings haven't changed. I find the Oscars very frustrating personally. Everyone's already said it before, but I think a lot of the movies that ultimately get acknowledged as the great movies of American cinema are almost never, you know, it's like 50-50. It's almost like political elections. Every now and then you get a great leader. Most of them are mediocre. And then sometimes you get out and out horrible leaders. And you're like, how did this clown get elected? And I feel that same engagement with the Oscars where, you know, I'm like Unforgiven, Silence of the Lambs, Return of the King, Yes. You know, and you can go back. Grapes of Wrath. Totally. But then sometimes you're just like, crash? What? Not to bag on Paul Haggis's crash. But I want to watch it again because if I was nominated, I'd go. I absolutely. And I don't want to be a hypocrite. You know, I'd, I'd love to. You know, I think my, my family might get a kick out of it. I know that I'd get a kick. I'd be truly grateful. And you also, if you're in the industry, this is the thing the industry does. Like it or hate it. This thing was invented to help movies, to actually, people should not be surprised by this, but the Oscars were invented to help the box office of the films that were nominated. And it allows certain movies to gain another 5, 10, 20, 30 million because they've been nominated, or they win, rather. Uh, it was a very smart idea, and there's a lot of glitz and glam, and I, I like the glitz and glam, and I, I like the idea, too, that the Oscars represent, and I think we're getting back there incrementally, being at the movie theater. I mean, that was the whole, like, you go to see these movies in the movie theater, then you see the people win the awards. And, you know, I support the Oscars. I'm not someone who's like, why does this thing exist? I love it. I just wish I engaged with it more. I'm, I'm trying to be honest with you guys and with our audience. I haven't watched the award show in years. I think um, the last award show I watched, I didn't even have kids. So, you know, this is at least five, six years ago. So I got to get back in. I, th I like Jimmy Kimmel. I think he's a good host. I'm down for that. I don't know if he was funny or not. Was he funny, Edwin? Yes, he was funny. He was funny. You know, you gave me a lot of shit about doing my homework, and I did it because I watched the Oscars. So, boom, suck yeah. it. That puts your batting average at a 10%. <laughs> but, Edwin, you're right. This one, you win. 
You went on this one. I will say I had a weird experience with everything everywhere all at once. Oh, I loved Kei Kwan. I personally thought he was the heart of the movie. And now maybe, maybe that's me coming from a dad perspective. So I'm relating to the dad character because I think mother daughter conflicts are very real. And I actually dated a number of women who were Asians and they all talked about in Asian culture, specifically the mother daughter relationship. But I mean, that's stereotypical. That could be in any culture, but I remember I, you know, I've mentioned her many times and I'm not going to mention her name here again. Cause I don't know in this context she'd want, but I had a girlfriend who had a very fraught relation, but she always was trying to be a good daughter to her mom and felt like her mom had unrealistic expectations. You can also see it in the Disney movie, Turning Red, um, which my daughter Carmen loves. I actually think I'm gonna do a double bill of everything in Turning Red because they're actually the same story. <laughs> I had the weird experience of, I thought the movie was a lot of fun. I thought it was incredibly made. It was no surprise to me to find out that the Daniels had directed one of my favorite recent videos, Turned Down For What? So I was like, oh, this makes total sense. I love Turned Down For What? And I can see that aesthetic and everything everywhere. And I loved everybody else. I mean, the cast was great. I love Michelle Yeoh. I will say that you use the word maximalist and I'm trying to avoid the cliche. I love style and I love bold, unique style. I just found the movie was at 11 the whole time and I burned out on the 11. And I also thought there was a tweeness and a preciousness to the movie. Maybe it's a generational thing, but the like Rakakuni, I was like, I get it. It's funny, Ratatouille, uh, here, here we are again with the effing animatronic raccoon on the head and the hot dog fingers things. Like, I know you guys loved it, like everybody, but I was like, Okay, yeah, yeah. And I guess there've been so many multiverse movies too that just at a certain point, you're like, ah, it's the multiverse. We're in the multiverse again. So I, as a filmmaker, I had the weird experience of knowing that it was a good movie, really appreciating what it was doing, also really appreciating the representation and also finding that it, I liked it, but I didn't love it. I, I don't know what else to say. Like I liked, I didn't love it. And maybe I was also a victim of all of its hype because I didn't see it until late in the game. And maybe if I had seen it in March or February when it came out, maybe I would have had a different reaction to it. But I thought it was good. I didn't think it was great. From a filmmaking perspective, I'd also recommend, I assume stuff will come out, especially now, but the behind the scenes stuff with it is pretty insane with how they did it. Because even if you were, were mixed on it, I think the way that they pulled this off is such a cool story that I hope becomes kind of a thing. Even for like film school adjacent things, five people did the VFX for the movie, including the directors got involved. Like if you watch the credits, there are five people listed. Like it is insane what they did to make the movie happen at the budget that they have. So even if you were, were mixed on it. I'd say it's a very cool deep dive to look at just the ways that they did it. Cause I think that is such an incredible achievement of getting to do exactly what you want by like working with their friends and stuff. Like the editor's a buddy of theirs. And he, I think he said in his speech, it was his second movie that he edited. It is, if you're a filmmaker, it is obvious watching everything everywhere all at once. I mean, that was a crazy ambitious movie. The match cutting that went into it, the special effects, the fight sequences, you know that sequence in the hallway when the daughter, but as the god or as the eternal entity shows up and they're fighting with the cops and it's revealed to Michelle Yeoh and all the tricks they do, the visual tricks and the visuals. It was stunning. And I that's why I'm really stressed. Maybe, maybe over time, my, my reaction to it will change. I just found at a certain point, it was like so much thrown on the screen. And that was every shot all the time. And I know someone was like, told me, Maybe it was you, Connor. You were like, well, the movie is called Everything, <laughs> Everywhere, All at Once. 
So what, I didn't say that. Oh uh, yeah, I was like, what did you expect the style would be? There's nothing I like less than trying to convince somebody who doesn't like a movie to like a movie. Like I would rather jump off a bridge, frankly. I so I'm not going to do that. Are you saying it doesn't work? All right, let me let me take it from here. Let's see. Like a no, Craig. No no no, 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 no. I'm not done. Damn it. I was just gonna say, Craig. I think you have to admit that this is more. Even if it didn't work for you, this is more of a parasite or no country for old men than a crash or something. Oh no, for sure. For sure. Uh, yeah, let me let me be unambiguous about that. And I'll go further. What I'm saying is not to use that word you said is used incorrectly. I recognize it as an empirically and objectively good movie and a deserving movie. I subjectively, you know, the only example I can give, and then I'm going to shut up and let's move on, is I'm not done with it yet, but I am finally watching RRR. And as a maximalist film, that makes all this, like, that's my maximalism is RRR. The storytelling, the understanding of sequence making, the character work, the action, the music, I'm all down for that kind of maximalism. I just found that kind of maximalism is incredible. Like I was just, I'm on that wavelength. I'm just not quite on the everything, everywhere, all at once. To me, there's a confusion of message that I get very nervous about. It's like I get nervous about Wes Anderson. I get nervous about this. I get nervous about the last two generations, what they think is monumental and important in the face of fascism and stuff. It's just very hard for me because I watch stuff and I'm like, this kind of a confusing, it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's hard for me to explain. When you watch RRR, like it's subjective. This is when we get into, I just worry about the whimsical tweeness of America. And it's 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 something that I worry about. I think you're f***ing wrong, Craig. I think you're dead wrong. Everything everyone wants is a mash piece. Michelle Yeoh at her finest from Hong Kong to doing these kind of movies. It's just brilliant, Craig. I think that's a little chicken littlely of a reaction to a movie you didn't like as much. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. But I can only say that when I watched RRR, it's maximalist filmmaking. Again, and I'm not trying to create a false dichotomy. They're both great movies. And they were both beloved too. So Yeah, both beloved, absolutely. Year. I can only, I'm Connor, I'm only speaking subjectively. I'm only speaking subjectively. I don't care if you don't like the movie, by the way. Like that is not what I'm saying. I'm trying to be also too, I don't want it to be a veiled criticism of a, that's not what I'm trying to do. But I personally thought the movie thought it was deeper than it really was. And I thought that it thought it had a profundity that I philosophically don't think it had. Um, for me. And I find that RRR, say what you will about it, has a world profundity that I resonate with. And I don't know. It's just philosophically more consistent for me. Same. There we go. I just totally killed the vibe. <laughs> <laughs> I ended up watching most of the Best Picture nominees, a lot of which I've talked about before. Uh, I didn't care for Tar, but I might revisit it in the future and like for it. I thought Top Gun was beautifully shot. Military propaganda, All Quiet on the Western Front is one of the, my least favorite things I've seen in a long time. Just like a miserable two and a half hours to get to the conclusion that war is bad. As if I was like beforehand, like a big fan of war. Um, and then I thought Elvis was a lot of fun with uh, big pervert Tom Hanks hosting the movie from an ethereal casino like he's the crypt keeper what a film um i didn't watch avatar because i refuse sometimes you just gotta draw a line in the sand i have a longer spiel about it but no no give us a little taste i just you know it, it just it's just annoying i it's it's been a while since i've seen so many people so desperate to see just how far down their throats they could get someone's d 
in the lead up to this movie <laughs> with Jim Cameron. And like he's, he's going to be fine. It's James Cameron. I'm not as much of a James Cameron fan as a lot of people are. That's my one of my hot cinema takes. Even the movies I like of his, I think, are fine. And, you know, it's a thing I'm trying to be selective about what big budget movies I see. You know, even if this has an auteur behind it, it's still contributing to the sort of modern culture of like no mid budget movies and only IP based uh, stuff. Even in his own career. I mean, Cameron now is like now for sure making three, four and five. And, uh, you know, Cameron talked a lot of trash and some of it was funny. And then some of it was stuff where he was like talking about how Captain Marvel and Wonder Woman weren't good movies that I think are both like fine, but because they weren't good women representation and his women who's pregnant while fighting is good. And that's like a weird gender essentialist. And I'm kind of over like the people trash talking the Marvel stuff. I don't want to get too defensive about it, but it's just kind of like, all right, maybe don't alienate like a lot of people who would probably like your stuff. It's frustrating. Yeah, well, and we've talked about this before, but there's such a weird disconnect to me in understanding the joy that that's brought people. It's strange. It's turned me off lately to just even talking about Marvel stuff, period. Yeah, no, I I get it. It sucks, too, to have it be people that you, you know, may have respected or look up to and then have it be like, why is this where you're focusing your attention when you have, like, a spotlight? Why are you going to die on this hill? I'll read real quick. I got a top 20 from last year. People want to check any of these out that they haven't brought up in a while. And one or two, I'll have an extra sentence for I'll go down from 20 to 19 uh, second chance which is this documentary about this guy Rich Davis who invented modern body armor it's a pretty straightforward documentary but the thing is fascinating this guy is a piece of work is the words I would use he's an interesting dangerous weird hilarious upsetting man and they have a lot of access to him going down triangle of sadness I liked a lot of the best picture noms this year. Emily the Criminal, Elvis, Funny Pages, Speak No Evil, which is a Danish horror film, which is maybe the most effed up thing I've seen in a long time. Uh, Not so much like violence level, but just cruel. It's been a while since I've seen something that horribly cruel. Um, Resurrection, which had my favorite performance of the year, Rebecca Hall, Confess Fletch, RRR, Men, White Noise, The Fablemans, Thor, Love and Thunder, Doctor Strange, and The Multiverse of Madness, Glass Onion, Bodies, 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 Banshees of Inishirin, Barbarian, The Batman, and uh, everything, everywhere, all at once. And what are you looking for in 2023? Well, I already saw Cade, The Tortured Crossing by Neil Breen. You know, I'm going to take a different tactic from now on with Neil. Neil needs to embrace the fact that he's making cult films. He doesn't need to embrace the fact that he's making quote-unquote bad films, but he needs to accept the fact that people enjoy his films for whatever reason, and he needs to make good releases of his movies that aren't just a DVDR he made himself in a jewel case that doesn't even work. I paid $25 for Faithful Findings, Neil. It doesn't even work. But Cade was a lot of fun. And I'm also, this is a huge surprise. I am very much so looking forward to Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, which looks sick. And Barbie. Barbie looks great, too. Oh, my God. Yes. I'll do my top 10, and then I'll talk about some stuff that wasn't really getting Oscar talk. I did number 10, Jackass Forever. Number 9, Top Gun Maverick. Number 8, Glass Onion. Number 7, Everything Everywhere. Number 6, Banshee's Vinisherin. Number 5, Tar. Number 4, Decision to Leave. Number 3, RRR. Number 2, After Sun. Number 1, Nope. Some other things that I thought ruled that I think deserve some recognition. Return to Soul. I thought the Batman was phenomenal. I was mad that the Batman didn't get even get like score nominations. Pearl and X, but especially Pearl. Uh, after Yang, uh, Echoing Connor at Confess Fletch was some of the hardest I've laughed this year. 
Um, there's this great single location whodunit called The Outfit that's incredible. I thought Babylon ruled. The second Puss in Boots movie, which I've never seen Shrek 3, 4, or Puss in Boots, the new Puss in Boots movie rules. It is like the first thing kind of post Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. It's taking the idea of like, oh, what if like computer generated animation had a really distinct look to it and all the better for it. Phil Tibbetts, Mad God's incredible. The Bowie doc was incredible. 3,000 Years of Longing. Uh, Catherine called Birdie, which stars um, Bella Ramsey, who's playing Ellie in The Last of Us, is, is great. They're going to win an Oscar. Yeah, there's 2022 is a phenomenal year for movies. The list goes on and on. There's so much good stuff. And a lot of it's very accessible now across streaming platforms. So what are you looking forward to in 2023? Ooh, well, I've already seen, I saw two things that I have really enjoyed from this year. But recently I saw Creed 3, which Michael B. Jordan is a huge anime nerd. And it shows some of the fights are shot with like Naruto, Dragon Ball Z love in mind. And it's so cool to see how he does that visually. Yeah, his directorial debut. Very impressive debut. You. There's a shot of someone getting punched in the stomach in slow motion and it cuts to their back and the sweat beads fly up from the back and it works completely. It's very cool. It was a very good movie. And then my big surprise recently was 65, which is about Adam Driver crash landing into a planet that has dinosaurs and having to escape. It is 93 minutes and just a little like 90s-esque action movie and it kind of rules. It's just Adam Driver being Adam Driver. And I kept wondering like, why did he choose this? Like such an, he can do whatever he wants. I wonder why this. And apparently there's an interview where he said his kid is very into dinosaurs. And so he thought this would be fun. But then he said it's too scary for the kid to watch. But if you've seen the trailer for it, it is as advertised. You get exactly what you pay for. And I had a very good time with it. I loved uh, Banshee's Inisherin. I thought that was amazing. That got skunked too, didn't it? Yeah, it did. It did. I, I wanted to win for best writing. That was my hope for because the dialogue in that movie is amazing. Like I, I couldn't get over how great it was. Let's see what else. Um, oh, I loved. Um, it was in my head. Um, Banshee's everything everyone wants, of course. Um, wow, I'm blanking. I'm money, blanking. Money plane? No, not money plane. There, there, yeah, that came out the year before, actually. You mean just plain, the movie plain? No. There's a way you should write this stuff down before. Yeah, I know, but that's why it's all in my head. Um, it's not, not all in your head. <laughs> well, what are you looking forward to, at least? And we'll come back to it if you think of it. I guess Guardians, I guess. Oh, the Batman I loved. I loved, I loved the Batman. I thought the Batman was amazing. Even though it was a little too long. Oh, Failments. Failments was my favorite of the year. Got to see a UCLA. Got to look over those college kids, because... Boom. Self-taught bitches. <laughs> That's a t-shirt. We should make that. I have not seen a lot of movies from 2022, and I've already said this before, but prior to a few months ago, it was just because of everything that was going on in 2022. And then once I started editing Afterworld Game, I just very leery of watching something that's going to unduly affect me or put me in a weird mood. It's like a diet I have to have, and it's just instinctual, and the diet veers towards older films that I don't know why. But weirdly, I was telling Connor, weirdly, RRR, I was like, no, I can watch RRR. I don't know why. My And, and <laughs> so, so I'm watching RRR right now, and, and it's dumb to always talk about something midstream because you, it may all fall apart or it may stick to landing. Connor, you had said something. I think you rightfully said, you made this brilliant point that got me thinking, that a lot of people in India are a little suspicious of the reaction to RRR 
because movies like this have been being made in India for a hundred years. It's not as if RRR is even considered the greatest Indian movie ever made. It's not. It's, you know, considered a really good movie from the year that it came out. And so you were there. There's a, a worry in India that white America is fetishizing sort of Indian filmmaking and Indian storytelling. I've had a friend or two whose family's from, you know, that area of the world who feels that way. Um, but to be fair, as you just heard a minute ago, it was like number 12 of my favorite. I saw 53 movies last year because it still rules. Oh, no, totally. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying that's your viewpoint. You were just sharing that viewpoint. And it really got me thinking. But what I thought what I'd say to those folks is I completely understand why you think that. And there's probably even some truth to what you're saying that we're not aware of as white Americans. So, you know, I'm not going to tell you anything other than that. But I can tell you that what I'm reacting to, and I wonder if Daniel felt this and other people felt this, is, and Connor, you even mentioned it, but I feel like we've been going blind a little bit year by year and not realizing we're going blind to how movies should make you feel when you go to go see a movie with an audience and it's going to be a big communal party. And RRR, like the moment they did the character intro of the first dude, and they're like, arrest that man. And he just goes with like a thousand extras, and they're all trying to, and he's like getting them down, and then he brings them back. And the funny thing is, like, I get it. He starts with the British. He's going to end up becoming a freedom fighter. And what he showed here is suddenly going to get turned on them. And I haven't finished the movie. I like, I saw all the story points they were setting up, but I was like in it. And then when they like that, I guess the first scene though is when they take the girl, right? The British woman's like, yeah. I want that on my mantle place. I was like, this bitch got to pay. I just leave. <laughs> Up. And I was, you know, say what you will about very direct, but Americans movie making tries to do that. And I don't feel that way, but I was like, oh no, I'm in this movie for three and a half hours because these people, these people that took this girl and disrespected her mom and dad, they got to go down. And then they introduced the water dude with the underwater, like the upside down camera shot of the water. And then he, then he fights a tiger and he roars at the tiger. Beam. I was just like, Beam. okay all right, I'm in this for three and a half hours. And I just got through the scene. I'm not going to go through, but like where they save the kid on the bridge. Hell yeah. And it's 40 minutes before the title. <laughs> I was like, yes. Maybe the best title drop of last year. Yeah. <laughs> also a, a weird unifier. Rachel also loves RR, And we've shown it to like her family, like everyone we've shown it to that may not traditionally watch things in that realm loved it i think probably the real explanation of what's going on with rr is it's the one that broke through maybe it could have been a different movie that had i mean i don't want to diminish rrr but like when people talk about like oh well there's all these other movies like that i'm sure there are i think this is the one that kind of broke through and and hopefully this continues a trend where we get to actually see these big releases in america of these movies that are for all audiences you know yeah totally i also we just screened so i got to see uh, Moon Age Daydream, which Daniel referenced. I loved it. I wanted it to be great, and I'm not quite sure it's great. I think it's really, 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 really good. And I recommend anybody see it. The editing is incredible. What it did do, though, one, it made me feel rock and roll again, the way I like rock, like glam rock. Like when rock and roll is great, what it's supposed to be, transgressive, you know, Velvet Underground, Bowie, and also just scrappy and imaginative and but also I just how much I love Bowie as a person, how intelligent he is, how he was actually always on a spiritual quest, which I think sometimes doesn't get talked about as much with David Bowie, how he was a good dad. I don't know if people know the Duncan Jones story, 
But David Bowie raised Duncan essentially as a single dad. Duncan hasn't spoken to Angie since like 1978. And when you think about David Bowie is the number one rock star in the world, and he still finds time to be a good enough father that his son names his daughter in honor of his father and is really close to his father. I think that speaks to the man. And that really, really moved me. And David Bowie, I've now put up Moon Age Daydream in our booth because he is an idol of mine. That kind of album making and creativity and God seeking and spiritual seeking, I was like, a Bowie. And looking forward to this year, you know, I don't know enough about what's coming out this year other than I just hope to see more movies. There's that Scorsese movie. Totally. Killers of the Flower and Moon I'm looking forward to. I'm going to give Dial of Destiny. I'm going to give it its fair shake. James Mangle, give it, you know, Indiana Jones movie. But I'm just looking forward to anybody who does anything. I'll just say uh, you can find me at twitch.tv slash Connor Cruz and watch me play D&D Tuesday evenings at twitch.tv slash nerdhala. Also, I don't want to completely derail the podcast. Very worried about all the anti-queer stuff happening in this country. There's just a lot of bills being passed in southern states that are being motivated by a sort of moral panic uh, and a lot of language being used in a lot of very high places in certain more conservative parts of this country. It's pretty scary. I'm not the one to speak on it. I just would like to note it that uh, we got to be careful. You know, we're kind of insulated in California from that a little bit, you know, because the most conservative person out here they is still a social liberal because you just can't, you're not going to win California that way. But there's some rough stuff happening across the country. You're talking about specifically that weird anti-drag queen bill in Tennessee. There's just, I mean, just search anti-queer bills and there's just tons of them being in- introduced. Oklahoma's trying to pass things that are against trans and non binary. I think a lot of the southern states are very abundant with it. 413 anti-LGBTQ bills in the U.S. right now. I do love this country, and I do believe in democracy, and I do believe truly in the marketplace of free ideas. If you're a Republican and you're a conservative, or you're a liberal, progressive Democrat, whatever, or an independent, or libertarian, a communist, a socialist, uh, whatever, I kind of don't go totalitarian fascist or whatever, but you have the right to believe whatever you want. And most people, whether you're on the left or the right, you have reasons for believing what you want. I have a family that's, I've said it many times before, that many of them are on the right, many of them are on the left. I am an independent. I, I think of myself as a centrist. Maybe I am, maybe I'm not, I don't know. I do feel, and I've said it before, I do think that Donald Trump and Trumpism has been horrible for this country and has really come close to breaking what we've tried 200 plus years to make better and better and better and better. And I do want to say, Connor, to your point, I'm very worried about Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. And I know this is going to alienate a lot of people who might think he's the answer to Trump. He is going to campaign on what you just said, Connor. Mm -hmm. He has already made it clear that he is going to campaign as a culture warrior who is going after what he considers the woke agenda. He's already done it. And what his pitch to people is going to be is I'm Donald Trump without the baggage of Donald Trump. So I am going to be able to get more conservative justices, more anti-woke agenda, more this, that, and the other thing. I'm truly going to make America great again kind of thing. But he's doing it at the expense of all the inroads that have been made 
for minorities and persecuted peoples by emphasizing the worst voices and saying that that represents all the progress. And that's not. And if you were worried about Trump, the saving grace of Trump was that Trump was a clown and he was a narcissistic clown. Ron DeSantis is Harvard and Yale educated. And Ron DeSantis currently has gotten the Florida government to call a special session to ramrod a bunch of these things you're talking about so that he can campaign and say that he's the most effective executive in the United States in the last 10 years or whatever. And a lot of people are going to look at Ron DeSantis, who's younger than I am, 44, and they're going to look at Joe Biden, who is almost certainly going to run again at 79, 80. And a lot of them in their heart of hearts is going to go, well, I kind of want a more with it young guy. You know, Ron DeSantis is not unifying people. He's not running on an agenda of the future about what's best for the United States. Ron DeSantis is going around dividing people and stoking hatred and anger about issues. And I'm nervous about that. Scapegoating queer people and Latinos. And minorities. And all you're voting for, in my opinion, is a smarter fascist. So I would really encourage people to look deeply at this because the culture war is what 2024 is going to be. The Republican playbook in 2024 is going to be culture warrior stuff. The last thing I want to say, though, is that I really encourage people who don't want to see Ron DeSantis or Donald Trump, don't take the bait. The genius of Ron DeSantis, and I, I'm really putting this maybe to Daniel and to Connor and to Edwin. The genius of Ron DeSantis is that the left goes crazy with this stuff, and then they confirm for the right why they hate the left. So what Ron DeSantis does is he baits the left to get hysterical. He wants an, an, an like a, a, what is? Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And actually, I find her to be very well-spoken. I don't, I, I, but what Ron DeSantis is trying to do is to get groups to so overreact to what he's saying that they turn off the middle of the country and the middle of the country goes, it's too much. It's too much. I got to vote Ron DeSantis. It's just too much. They're trying to legislate everything. It's too much. So I really encourage people who don't want to see Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis to stay level-headed, to do your homework and to just make an argument for what's the constructive vision that's being presented us here. What's the constructive vision for the country that's being presented us? That's just all I want to know. Don't take the liberal baiting bait. Don't take it. Don't get hysterical. Don't scream. Don't go off about stuff. That's what they want. That proves the point. I'm, I'm talking to you guys. I'm talking to all of us. Don't take the bait. Just tell me what the constructive vision is. I don't hear one. Like, what's, what is it? Like, what do we do? How do you combat that? How do you combat Ron DeSantis? I'm sorry. <laughs> I thought this was about movies, man. I thought this was about movies. Well, that's it. We started talking about the 2023 Oscars and ended up talking about the 2024 election. Guys, thank you so much. I wish you all a happy 2023. We will be back next week with Secret Movie Club Podcast 143, where we celebrate our third anniversary. And we talk about how we felt about certain films when we were younger and how that changes over time. It's a really weird thing. Movies we loved when we were younger and now maybe we don't love them or movies we didn't get when we were younger and now suddenly we get them or filmmakers. Join us for that. When you hear this podcast, uh, we'll be at St. Patty's Day. We'll be doing Once in the Commitments. We'll have a lot of Guinness on tap. It's in the, it's, it's here, Coolin. 
chilling. And then uh, tomorrow we're doing Singles Almost Famous. You can find out about everything we're doing at secretmovieclub.com. Get tickets at Eventbrite. Write us a community at secretmovieclub.com. As always, this episode was edited by Secret Movie Club Chief Creative Content Officer, Connor Lloyd Cruz. Thank you, Connor. Guys, thank you, Edwin, for that belt. And uh, thank you all for podcasting. I wish you all a great week. Have a good week, guys. Uh-huh.